You're listening to the Back Porch Talk Podcast. Danny and Jason had many discussions and debates on the back porch while making pivotal investment moves with assets. That's right, with trading cards. They welcome you to the back porch and right into those discussions about current sports news with a fresh and unique twist. So come on and join us. Welcome to the Back Porch Talk Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason. This is your co-host, Danny. And we have a fun-filled, packed show for you today. We're actually going to talk about the sports leagues and their comparison to either beginning or resuming their sports league. Uh, Then we'll talk about the NBA awards. And we have several trading card scenarios for you today. So let's get right to it. The sports leagues and how they're opening up, uh, obviously the pandemic is happening right now and sports leagues are trying to figure out how do we go about resuming the season or beginning our season. The NBA, obviously having a bubble situation in where they're in Orlando, they have all the testing uh, necessary. They're making sure that the players um, are actually testing uh, negative there are a lot of rules, regulations within this bubble, keeping it as safe as possible. Uh, and, and so they actually just started playing yesterday evening, and it seems like this thing is, is going to work. What do, you, what do you think, Danny? Yes, Jason. Based on the protocols they have in place, like you said, uh, with the spacing on the bench and the masks and the timeout chairs, so during the actual end game, it's very clean. And then based on the reports, the premises is very clean in the testing and just just making sure the guys aren't doing anything out of line. So they had a couple instances, but it's been pretty well ran based on what we've been seeing in the reports. So that's a positive and guys seem to be taking it serious where they're not congregating in rooms, so to speak. That's what people have been saying. And as one player put it, it's more of the college feel where mm-hmm. they, it's like their dorm room and then they go out, get lunch, get breakfast and things like that. So, so far, so good for the NBA and fingers crossed it keeps up and no one slips up and does anything stupid. And now I have to admit, listen, I think out of all of the sports leagues, I think the NBA got it right. I agree. To be, to be in this bubble, do the appropriate testing. And yes, there's a sacrifice there. Obviously a sacrifice for the championship. Now, granted, they are re- actually resuming their season. Um, but the sacrifice here is if you, you, the team goes all the way to the championship round, you're talking about what, three, four months in this bubble. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, there's a sacrifice, but man, th- I think they got it right. Now the energy, L, the hockey league, uh, I think they're doing a bubble situation as well, similar to that of the NBA, which I can see it being a success. And to that uh, point, Jason, the other thing to note with the NHL is with it being in Canada and their numbers right now are very low, they even have a higher success possibility of any league right now because of the numbers. When we get to baseball, we'll talk about the Blue Jays. But, right, right. Uh, but NHL, I think, is number one just due to sheer volume of numbers. Mm-hmm. But the NBA is a close second, and the NBA kind of laid out the blueprint with the bubble concept. 
And I think also uh, Major League Soccer, they're in the bubble as well. I want to say in Orlando. So I think all of the uh, sports leagues that are actually in this bubble situation or this bubble concept, uh, I think they're going to uh, actually do very well. The other sports leagues, when you talk about uh, Major League Baseball and the NFL, I don't know about them, man. I don't know about uh, Major League Baseball. First of all, and for, Major League Baseball actually starts tonight. Tonight's opening night. Yes. Um, no fans in the stands. But I'm just not totally certain as to why teams are traveling to empty stadiums. I just don't get it. I feel that, you know, in a sense, you might as well be in almost like a bubble concept as well. Mm-hmm. Take the traveling out of the equation. To me, the traveling as just a whole another variable to a COVID situation. So yeah. why not just uh, probably go down to uh, your spring training, if you will, uh, and where you have your various baseball stadiums at in different state. Well, I would say in Arizona, in Florida, I know Florida is a, is a hot spot right now. Same thing with Arizona, but you I'm pretty certain you could, if you were in a bubble situation, you could really, help relegate uh, from uh, spreading the pandemic within that particular community. But nonetheless, why not go in that particular format as opposed to having to travel to um, these empty stadiums? I just don't get it. Um, So I don't think, honestly, even with a 60-game season, I don't know how much of a success Major League Baseball season is going to be versus that of the uh, NBA, NHL. Major League Soccer in a bubble situation. Same thing with the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, NFL, if they're going to be traveling to different states, different cities to go into an empty stadium, I just don't get it. And the other thing, too, with MLB and NFL, the teams are bigger. So you have a lot more chance if these guys are going home and for whatever reason, they're around some someone was in their house, for example, that they were unaware of that had it or was asymptomatic. That that could it would spread like wildfire. And the thing with the NFL is they're looking at trying to have fans. They're still considering fans <laughs> at a limited capacity. So there's just another factor involved there from the NFL perspective. Yeah, called money. Yep. That's the exactly. factor. <laughs> That's the exactly. ultimate factor. Yep. And that's what and that's what they're trying to consider the fans at a like twelve thousand to twenty thousand, depending on the stadium. Well, you know, I I'm going back and forth on this, man, because NASCAR, I remember there was a NASCAR race that actually had fans in the stands. Now granted they were spread out quite a bit. At Bristol. Uh, I think it was yeah, Bristol. Exactly. Yep. And they were able to do that successfully. So I'm I'm kind of torn. But why even, you know, put that variable into the equation? That, that's, that's the point, man. I think sitting in the stands themselves is not – it minimizes the risk. But it's when you're in the, going to a concession stand, you're going to the bathroom. How do you control that? How do you monitor that? Where you're passing through, walking in and out of the stadium itself. So there's just all these different factors involved where if you say, all right, we're going to sacrifice the money this season, um, just to see if we can be successful, just running it, knowing our players are traveling, knowing our players are going home, not necessarily controlled. 
it um, it poses issues. I know some of the teams they'll have they're taking precautions on these like bracelets or rings or whatever they're using to say mm-hmm. or indicate mm-hmm. that they're within six feet of somebody. But it's gonna be tough, man. I wish them well because I definitely want to watch football. I want to watch baseball. Right. But it's just without them being in a bubble, it just makes it tough um, for them to be successful. So we definitely wish them well. We're not wishing ill will on anybody. It's just calling out the facts. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we had this discussion even earlier um, about the NFL. I mean, I know that there there's been instances in where uh, quarterbacks and wide receivers have actually gone to uh, states like uh, Wyoming or South North Dakota or, or Montana uh, to do workouts. Obviously mm-hmm. they, those states are not as populated as uh, other states. So uh, maybe that would, would have been a bubble situation or opportunity there. Who knows? But uh, nonetheless, yeah, we definitely don't wish any ill will towards anyone. Uh, we hope all the players and athletes are uh, safe uh, during this pandemic timeframe. So now let's go ahead and go to the NBA awards. <laughs> As the NBA has indicated, they will not be counting the uh, remaining games here towards the NBA awards. So uh, why don't we go ahead and go through our predictions of who is actually going to uh, win these awards. Let's go ahead and start off with the uh, rookie of the year. Danny, who do you have? Jason, I'm going with John Morant. Just due to Zion missing a lot of the games. He took the Memphis Grizzlies currently in the eighth spot, leading that team, and he's having a great season. I just think just based on that alone, getting him to the playoffs, he, he's earned rookie of the year. He's been there all season for the team too, versus Zion being injured and uh, coming back later. I got to go with John Moran as well. John Moran averaging 17.6 points a game, three and a half rebounds, and 6.9 assists a game. I think he's he's – captured the fan base uh but memphis is a really good team man i'm really really digging memphis just in terms of uh, the players that are around uh john morant uh jaron jackson jr so uh, i believe that uh that is a team to really watch out for hey we're tied here jason one and one we 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 agree on this one. (laughs) we agree on something (laughs) we agree on this one all right so so who do you have for you have a six man so this one was tough for me. So a couple of the guys I considered were Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams, Derek Rose, mm. but I chose Dennis Schroeder from the Oklahoma City Thunder, <laughs> who averaged 19 points, four assists, three rebounds. It was between him and Montrez. He's the type of player that I just want, like watching during the game, but Oklahoma City being in the five seed and him coming off the bench, getting almost 20 a game and contributing the way he did. I'm going with Dennis Schroeder. Wow. I, I didn't think you don't go that route, man. I was honestly going back and forth here. I was going back and forth between uh, Montrez Harrell and uh, Sweet Lou Williams, both from the Clippers. Uh, Lou Williams has won before. I w- I'm leaning towards... Uh, Montrez Harrell on this. I can't, uh, I can't fault you there, Jay. Uh, off the bench, he's like the enforcer for the yes. Clippers. Uh, he can score down low, averaging 18.6 a game right now. Seven rebounds coming off the bench. Just a real, real motor to him. 
a very active body. And man, I just think that without Montrez Harrell, the Clippers, I don't think would be as as good as they are right now. And I think the NBA sometimes prides himself on kind of causing a little controversy a little <laughs> bit there. So Lou Williams, the one in the past, but I want to give this to Montrez Harrell, man. What about the most improved player? All right, here we go, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> the people I considered were Bam Adebayo from Miami, Luca from Dallas, Jason Tatum from Boston, and mm. Hassan Whiteside from the Trailblazers. Hassan Whiteside, sixteen and fourteen, man. Are you serious? Hassan Whiteside from the Portland Trailblazers. Oh my gosh, man. He was considered. But I'm going with Bam out of bio mm. from Miami. And for me, it was tough between him, Doncic, and Tatum. Because Tatum was hooping by, before COVID hit. So that's where I, re- I was really torn between those three. But the way Bam's been playing and the way the Miami Heat, he, he drives the Miami Heat. He's kind of like Montrez Harrell in a way. He's just an enforcer down low. He's just playing lights out, man. So I'm going with Bam. Another tough one. I can't doubt you if you go with Doncic or Tatum, but I'm going Bam. Okay. So for most improved player, yeah, this was a tough one as well. Um, I agree with you, Danny, man. There's so many different players here. I definitely do not have no Hassan Whiteside <laughs> on my list, man. Okay. Um, he's in a contract year, man. So yeah, he's going to improve. But uh, yeah, no, he's not on my list. I do have on my list, uh, Jason Tatum out of Bayou. Bam. I have Brandon Ingram. Have Brandon Ingram, man. He's averaging 24 points a game, six rebounds, and four assists a game, man. Yeah, Zion's going to get a lot of the shine. Yep. But the one who's actually putting putting it down, man, is, is Brandon Ingram. I agree. He, I can't when, take when he uh, got traded from the Lakers to New Orleans, I was intrigued, actually, by that trade. Because um, I thought you have a young, good nucleus there, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. you have some veterans uh, around them as well. You almost could call them Duke South, as uh, many <laughs> Duke players they have on that squad. But I would have to give this uh, most improved player award to Brandon Ingram, uh, purely because he went from 18 points a game last year to 24 points a game this year. I think it's a better system for him. I think he, you know he's featured a little bit more. When Zion came into the mix, yeah, he, he held back a little bit. Wanted Zion to feel a little comfortable in the offense. But nonetheless, man, I got to give this to uh, Brandon Ingram. So that's who my uh, most wow. important player is. Uh, yeah, Tatum is balling. I think Tatum's going to eventually be in that MVP conversation. But I, I would have to give this to Brandon Ingram. So with that, we have now the what defensive player of the year. So people I considered for defensive player of the year were Giannis, Anthony Davis, Rudy Gobert, and Bam. And I'm going with Giannis. Just based on the numbers he put up this year from the defensive end and the impact, it's not even the numbers for him. It's the impact he has on the defensive end for the Milwaukee Bucks. That's greater than any other player, which turns into fast break points, many opportunities just based on his defense. He's not just protecting the rim. He's out there on the perimeter. Guard, guarding people way smaller than him, 
not to say AD and Gobert don't do that, but they're more primarily down low versus Giannis is all over the floor. And I'm going with Giannis for defensive player of the year. That's very interesting. <laughs> very interesting. I was torn. Mm-hmm. I was torn uh, between uh, two players in particular. I don't think, uh, yeah, Rudy Gobert is in the conversation. I honestly believe with what Rudy Gobert did at that press conference for the pandemic, for the NBA actually postponed uh, him at the press conference, at the end of the press conference, obviously touching the mics and touching locker rooms. And I honestly believe that's going to take some votes away from him. I know it's supposed to be what's, what's done on the court. I think that's going to take some votes away from him. Um, I agree with that, Jason. I was torn between two players, and that is Giannis and uh, Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, about 27 points a game, has about nine and a half rebounds a game, has about two blocks a game, 2.4 blocks a game. What ultimately helped me make my decision was who does Anthony Davis have, have on his team? He has LeBron on his team. Yep. I'm not saying LeBron is the greatest defensive player at this point in his career. And yes, AD, he's the anchor. But you, he also has, isn't JaVale McGee on the Lakers? And Dwight Howard. And Dwight Howard on the Lakers? Yes, sir. So you have some big men there that's going to help defensively anyway. I mean, granted, if they're on the floor at the same time. But then I looked at Giannis, and Giannis changes the game, man. And I got to agree with you with with your assessment. So... For defensive player of the year, I'm going with Giannis. Okay, Jay. Going with Giannis. So we we actually agree there. So why don't we do the coach of the year? My candidates for coach of the year were Coach Bud from the Milwaukee Bucks, Nick Nurse from the Raptors, Billy Donovan from the Oklahoma City Thunder, and Eric Spolstra from Miami Heat. I was torn between Coach Bud and Coach Donovan. And the reason I say that is Oklahoma City Thunder, from my perspective, weren't planning to do much this year. They're young. They gave, they gave away the house. They have a ton of draft pick. And for what they're doing, a lot of it's contributed to Chris Paul and um, Shea Alexander. The way the Bucks were just destroying teams this year, I'm going to go with Coach Bud again to repeat. It's very close between him and Billy Donovan, in my opinion. Because like I said, Billy Donovan did a great job this year with Oklahoma City sitting where they're at right now. I'm going with Coach Bud. Hmm. I would say this, man. Coach Bud is, is on my list. One of the best records or the, the best record in the league. So how could you not have Coach Bud on the list. Another person I thought about was Nick Nurse, Toronto Raptors. Mm-hmm. Uh, without Kawhi, a lot of people thought that, you know, they honestly would drop off a little bit, but they're still in the mix. I have to put Nick Nurse on that list too. And Billy Donovan, I, I was not expecting OKC to be where they are uh, seating-wise. I, I don't know at what point we don't get in the practice of, oh, another person. The other person I thought mm-hmm. about was Frank Vogel. Oh, yes. He's done a great job this year. I'm ruling out Frank Vogel, though. He's on the list, but I'm ruling him out because you have LeBron and AD. I mean, come on, man. So I'm, I'm ruling him out, but he has done a good job pulling things together. Coach Bud you have, has the best record in the, in the league. How could you not have him on the list? I don't know if the NBA is going to give or award the same coach back-to-back seasons coach of the year. 
I, I agree with that. My heart is with Coach Bud. I'm not a Raptors fan, but I surely did not think that they were going to be where they are. But I can't go with anything Raptors-wise, man. So I'm going with Coach Bud, ruling out <laughs> Billy Donovan. He did a good good thing, but I'm going with Coach Bud, man. So that leaves the MVP award. I think yeah. it's really just between two people, man. Between Giannis and LeBron, I think it's closer than people may think. But with Giannis averaging almost 30 and 14 in like 30 – was he averaged like 33, 34 minutes of the game? Mm-hmm. Something ridiculous. His efficiency is off the charts. And what he brings from the defensive end – so it's both sides of the court. He's playing defense and offense. Obviously, we gave him the defensive player of the year based on his offensive numbers and their record. I have to go with Giannis, man. Like I said, I think it's very close because LeBron's been balling his tail off. He's had a great year. I am not minimizing that at all. For them to be number one in the West and new coach, bringing in new pieces, and for him to orchestrate that and get them in the position they're in right now, to contend for the championship, you can't minimize that, but I'm going to have to go with Giannis. Look here, man. So Giannis, 29.6 points a game, about 13, 14 rebounds a game. I mean, we're talking about close to six assists a game, a block a game, averaging 31 minutes a game. And let's stop this, man. I, I need to say something here, man. Yeah. So right before the postponement of the season, uh, the Bucks were on a West Coast swing there. So... Um, yes, they lost to the Lakers. Uh, that's the game that Giannis uh, got injured, uh, mm-hmm. knee injury there. Uh, then they traveled on down to Phoenix, took an L in Phoenix, um, and then took an L, another L in Denver for their West Coast swing right before the postponement of the season. So Giannis was hurt. I want to say at that point in time, the mindset of the team was like, okay, let's just think about health. We have a little cushion here. Let's just make it back to Milwaukee. The injury that Giannis sustained is not as serious, but we're just going to give him some rest. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then this will be an opportunity for us as a basketball team to get rest. One thing you all need to, you know, make mention here or think about before the Bucs played the Lakers, uh, the early part of March at the Lakers, the Bucs were already 53 and nine. That was their record. Before going, before going to L.A., before that West, West Coast swing. Yep. So they had, some, they had the luxury of you know, getting a little rest anyway in the season for the, the remainder of the season. The other thing we need to think about, I need to say this. Yeah, the Lakers went ahead and, and beat the Bucks, but are we forgetting that the Bucks beat the Lakers earlier in the season? At Milwaukee, yep. you remember when Giannis oh, yeah. put the crown on his head <laughs> and everything? Had a great play, put the crown on his head going into the timeout. The Lakers, before the break, they were on a little winning streak there. Hot, yes. They were. But do you recall right before the postponement of the season, they lost to the Brooklyn Nets? So we got to stop this. You know, the Lakers were on this hot streak and. And they lost to the Brooklyn Nets. So are we going to mention that? So I say, I say that to say, listen, LeBron is having a hell of a season. Mm-hmm. LeBron is averaging 25 a game, like 10, 10 assists, 10.6 yeah. assists a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say that's his most of his career. And then in terms of rebounds, I mean, he is averaging about eight rebounds a game. Uh, and this is off of 35 minutes a game. So he he's what thirty seven years old playing thirty five minutes a game. 
But with that, though, man, I mean, you got help. You have another all-star. You have an Anthony Davis who's considered, what, top five in the league? So I say all that to say, listen here, man, I'm going with Giannis as my MVP. And I would say this, man, the surprising thing about Giannis being the MVP, I don't know if you were going to mention this or not, Danny. There are only two players in NBA history who has won both the D- Defensive Player of the Year and the MVP of that same season. Only two players, one being Jordan in the 1987-88 season. Man, Jordan was balling, man. This yeah, dude, was. listen, man, Jordan had, <laughs> he averaged, <laughs> check this out, man. Jordan averaged 35, five and a half rebounds and six assists a game while <laughs> every game stealing the ball three <laughs> times with 1.6 blocks per game, man. So we're talking about 35 points. Five and a half rebounds, six assists on one side of the ball, on the other side of the ball. I'm going to go ahead and steal the ball and produce more points for me yep. and my team. But I'll go ahead and block in your shot. Mm-hmm. The other person, Hakeem Olajuwon, the dream. Yep. That was going to be my guess, too. 93-94 season. Yep. Man, he was giving it to him, man. The dream had 27, 12 rebounds, three and a half assists a game while stealing the ball 1.6 times a game. Hey, man, he had about 3.7 blocks per game. You couldn't score what? on a dream, man. You couldn't <laughs> score on a dream. Man. So Giannis would join that club. There you have it. Very exclusive, for sure. Very exclusive, man. And we, we have something special in Milwaukee. Um, I just hope that uh, we continue to put some pieces around him um, so that way he will be willing to stay in Milwaukee and win championships. Now we have the trading card scenarios. Uh, we have quite a few on this particular show. And Danny, I'm going to give you the floor. So today we're doing a little flashback current player type trade scenarios. Three scenarios we're going to be talking about today are Allen Iverson, rookie card, or John Morant's rookie card. The next scenario will be Trey Young's rookie card or Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf's rookie card. And the last scenario will be Paul George and his rookie card for Marcus Johnson and his rookie card. So, Jason, let's start with this Allen Iverson, John Morant trading scenario. The cards we're talking about in particular are Allen Iverson's 1996 Topps Chrome rookie card for John Morant's 2019 Panini Prism rookie card. And for those of you who do not know Allen Iverson, he was a culture changer, culture impact on the NBA, went to Georgetown, was the number one pick of the Philadelphia 76ers back in 96. And John Morant is currently with the Memphis Grizzlies. We just current, we just spoke about him being the candidate for rookie of the year. He's he averaging 17 and seven, where Iverson, his rookie year, averaged 23 and seven assists. So thinking about this trading scenario for that rookie card, this was a tough one for me, Jason. Because talent-wise, from my, in my opinion, Allen Iverson is a better player than John Morant. The rookie card, John Morant has more value. And I think from a rookie card perspective, I'm going to take John Morant's rookie card just based on value. Talent-wise, see, we've had this discussion before on these trade scenarios. Here we we're going to have a few of those. these discussions on these. Here we go, man. 
<laughs> when we get to these other trade scenarios too, because I'm looking at the value of the card. So if I'm sitting there right now and I know how much Iverson is valued, but I'm looking at John Morant's possible uptick in value based, playing off this rookie of the year. So I just want to make that clear for all of you listening. In my opinion, Allen Iverson is a better player, but when we're talking about the trading card, that rookie card, we're on the back porch, Jason pulled out his Beckett price guide. And we're sitting here looking at the price of these cards. I'm, I'm going to go with John Morant right now. I'm going to take a chance on John Morant. <laughs> so I'm still, I'm still kind of torn here. Okay. But we're talking about the same Allen Iverson who in the Big East Conference, we're talking about the rookie card. I, I get that. I, I totally understand. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the pomp and circumstance, the the media attention, the media frenzy that Allen Iverson actually provided in the Big East Conference was something phenomenal. Not disagreeing with you at all there. Played for the Georgetown Hoyas. I mean, we got one thing we have to really think about, though, too, is the Big East Conference. Mm-hmm. The talent, the competition that was in the Big East Conference, right? right. We're talking about the same Allen Iverson that in the Big East Conference was Defensive Player of the Year not once, but twice. So his freshman and sophomore years, Big East Conference Defensive Player of the Year, then goes into the NBA. That same Allen Iverson who, yeah, he shot the lights out or he just kept shooting in the NBA. But before he got to the NBA, I mean, he was balling on the defensive side. And he did in the pros too, man. He, he I mean, was, he's, he's, he's off the he hook. Stole, yeah, he stole, stole the ball. He was, you know, he, he was still the ball. So we talking about that same... Allen Iverson in the Big East Conference. I think one thing that uh, our listeners got to realize is back in the day, back in the uh, 90s, when you would watch ESPN yes. during the week <laughs> for college basketball, mm-hmm. they had a game every single night. They had at least a couple of games every single night for a specific conference. Yep. Uh, I think it was called the Big, Big East Monday. Big Monday. Big Monday. Yes. Then, then Tuesday was like something like in the SEC. Super Tuesday or something. Yeah. Super Tuesday, something like that. Yeah. So yeah. every single night there was a big <laughs> game, right? Yeah. And the Big East Conference was always on that Monday night. Allen Iverson was something to behold and something to see. So I, I want our fans, especially our young fans who don't know, you've probably heard about Allen Iverson, go out to YouTube. Um, and we should be getting an endorsement deal from YouTube and some other these some of these other uh, places, <laughs> by the way. Um, but go out to YouTube, look at the highlights of Allen Iverson and many of these other players that we're talking about. Allen Iverson was just something to behold. John Morant was something to behold as well. But yeah, John, John Morant, he was a player of the year uh, in his conference, which was the uh, Ohio Valley Conference. So he was player of the year. I mean, when you think about the talent, the competition that was in the Big East, I mean, you, at the time you had Ray Allen, you had uh, Kerry Kittles, who was actually player of the year in the Big East. The competition that was in the Big East, man, was something behold. I remember um, in the Big East uh, championship game one year, it was between Ray Allen, UConn, and then also yep. – Allen Iverson, and they didn't have the greatest of games. I think uh, uh, Ray had uh, 17. Allen had about uh, 13. Was in foul trouble, turnovers, stuff, yep. stuff like that. But nonetheless, they were talking about how they were passing the ball, and the mm-hmm. competition was just going back and forth, man. 
uh, and that was UConn's first Big East championship. Allen Iverson, he, despite having a bad game, quote unquote, bad game, he still had the opportunity to win the game. Yes. Missed a shot, um, but it was a putback that should have been made that wasn't made. But but at any point, the point is the level of competition in the Big East, and Allen Iverson was up there, man. Oh, I can't, Jason. I'm not even denying. I'm talking about the car. Allen Iverson, I'm talking about killer talking crossover. About- and like I said, man, huge. I, I'm one of the biggest Iverson fans. But when I'm looking at that car, that's what I'm looking at. I'm like, man, if I'm looking right now, when he came out of college, obviously he's the number one pick. He's the number one card. That's the card you want. But we're looking right now, and the value of what John Morant's card is, John Morant came from a small school. He's a Murray State racer, number two pick, and he blew up in the NCAA tournament where they got, I think they made it to the lead eight or Sweet 16 or Elite 8, I can't remember. But mm-hmm. his game is transformed. And this is the reason we put this scenario together, because his game is very similar to Iverson's. He's not Iverson, but he's very similar. He's explosive. He can play defense. He distributes the ball. So he's more of a point guard than Iverson was. But Iverson was a dog. I can't even, I can't even trip. I'm not even going there. That's why I said that's why I qualified everything. I knew you were going to look at me like that. Man, we're talking I, about this. I'll, listen, I just. But it's the card value, man. It's, let, let me ask you this. Go because ahead. We, we both know. We both know that in the 90s, especially in the 80s, there, there was a saturation of cards. Yes. Right? Yep. So if there is an oversupply of cards, then the value is going to decline a little bit. Exactly. So let's just say, for sake of argument here, mm-hmm. if there was the same supply of each card. I'm taking Iverson all day. Okay. And that's what I'm saying. Listen, I got to take Iverson purely because of, man, the hoopla, the frenzy that he caused in at Georgetown. And he, here's the in other the thing, too. In the pros, too, too man. When in he the pros. In. In the, listen, I, I was about to go there. See, listen, the draft, yes, Iverson was the number one pick. But let me just say who was who else was in that draft? Marcus Camby, Stefan Marbury. And one thing I got to mention, there's a clip, there's some highlights between Allen Iverson and Stefan Marbury in college. <sighs> hey, man, AI got, got it with him, man. He got with him, man. And our, so, our younger fans, they got to look at YouTube. They didn't get to enjoy this oh, firsthand. Man. Some of this ball that was played in the 90s. Sorry. Go no, you're good. You're good, man. Listen, Ray Allen was in the same draft. Yes. Yes. Antoine Walker. Yep. Kerry Kittles. I mean, and then who can who can ever forget this, man? And rest in peace to Kobe Bean Bryant. Yep. Steve Nash. Mm-hmm. Jermaine O'Neal. I mean, it, it's just unbelievable of, of who was in that draft, man. And oh, by the way, who was rookie of the year? Allen Iverson. So we have potentially John Morant being rookie of the year this year, Allen Iverson being the rookie of the year in his class. Um, so that's going to be something else, man. But I got to go with AI. Got to go with AI purely because he was a game changer, not only on the court, off the court, man, but man. off the court as well from a cultural perspective. A lot of things that NBA players are wearing and stuff right now. Hey, listen, AI took the heat. He took yep. the heat, man. So. Um, I know that's not necessarily in the value of the card, mm-hmm. um, but if there was the same supply of each card, John Morant and also AI, I'm going AI all day. Oh, that's not even a, it's not and, even a contest that way. And I'm still going AI right now because the value of the card, 
Mm. Yeah, I'm going for the heart. Going for the heart, if you will, because man, if y'all could see, could have seen Big Monday and just the frenzy around, yes, around that. Hey, man, we that was just a crazy time. So I'm going with Allen Iverson on that on that one. scenario we're going to talk about now is Trey Young's 2018 Panini rookie card for Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, his rookie card, Skybox from 1990. For those of you who do not know who Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf is, his name was Chris Jackson. And he was Steph Curry before Steph Curry entered the league. He was Trey Young before Trey Young entered the league. He was the number three pick in the 1990 draft of the Denver Nuggets. He changed his name in 93, I believe, because of his beliefs. And so, Jason, since you hit on the college game, he averaged 30 (laughs) as a freshman in the SEC conference. And he was, like I said, you think of Steph Curry and his quick release and his quick handle? Mm-hmm. Mahmoud was that dude back in the 90s. Looking at this scenario, his numbers, if you look at his overall numbers, they're down. And Mahmoud went through some things from a professional standpoint where he was one of the ones who did not stand for the anthem due to what he said the symbol of the flag represented to him. So he did not stand, got suspended, came back in the in 1996. And after that incident, never really stuck in the league. He got traded to the Sacramento Kings, and he had like two or three years after that, and then he played overseas and ended up retiring. He took a stand, and it ended up taking him out of the league. Comparing him to Trey Young, who's averaging 23 and 8 right now in his second year, starred Oklahoma, Duke can shoot from half court and make it. And a lot of people got on him because how small he is, and they're both are small guards. Mahmoud was a small guard too. And this goes back to what we just talked about. If we're looking at the value of the card, I'm taking Trey Young all day. <laughs> if I'm looking at the player, Mahmoud Abdul Raouf, even to this day, if you watch him in the big three, he still can ball. Getting them, man. <laughs> He's like, I think Mahmoud was like 50. In great shape. Like I said, his handle, his vision, and he almost set the record for the free throw percentage in the NBA too. He missed about one free throw. His game was off the chart. And like I said, man, if it was, am I taking, I'm starting the team with Mahmoud or Trey Young, taking Mahmoud all day. When I look at that card and I look at <laughs> Trey Young card, I'll take it Trey Young's card. No disrespect, but just based on the value. Jason, what say you, man? He was a two-time SEC player of the year. Let that sink in for a moment. We're talking about the rookie card. He was a two-time SEC player of the year. See, when I look at the rookie card, I'm also thinking about the, the pageantry of that player coming into the uh, NBA. Um, mm-hmm. And then how, how does that translate and carry over to that first year of the NBA? For those of you who don't know him, uh, like Danny said, we got to go out to uh, YouTube, look at some videos because Mahmoud Abdul Raouf also played with Shaq at one point in time at LSU. So that combination was lethal. Trey Young, uh, he can shoot the lights out, like you said, man. I mean, he can just shoot, man, but he don't. He doesn't play any type of defense. This was a little bit tougher than I thought it was going to be. Uh, again, uh, I think I'm going with my heartstring here. I'm going with Mahmoud Abdul Raouf, man, primarily because I think when he got into the NBA, he was in a pretty decent situation uh, with Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they had a pretty decent team, an okay team around him. 
They have some pieces. That's when they upset yeah. Seattle that year exactly. with Dikembe. With when Dikembe. You see Dikembe on the floor shaking the yep. ball. Exactly. When they were the, uh, they upset Seattle as the number one exactly. and they were the eight seed. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There you go. And that was when the first round was like five games instead right. of seven. Yep. So you were a little bit more prone to have upsets and everything. Um, and that first year, he averaged uh, 14 points a game uh, mm-hmm. with three assists a game. But uh, I will say this, man, he can shoot. He can ball, man. Trey Young, he has handles. He can shoot as well. Mm-hmm. But I'm going with Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf purely because, yes, the supply number of cards back in the day, it, it, it was an oversaturation. Now it's going to be a little bit less. So that way the demand goes up, the price goes up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, the value may be up there. But, man, let me tell you, in terms of the player. I'm going with Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. Oh, for sure. And the other thing, just to add to Mahmoud, was just, like I said, he stood up for what he believed in. He was out mm-hmm. of the league by 29. He Crazy. had so much left. I would say this too, man. When you think about um, the players that did that, uh, we talked earlier, we had another show about Craig Hodges mm-hmm. um, during the uh, Bulls or the Jordan documentary. And we talked about how we didn't see Craig Hodges the NBA has, NBA has a history of that, it seems like. And it would be really something to have maybe a documentary on those two players to get their thoughts. And it'd be something even if, I think at this juncture and where we are as a country, I think it would be very, very interesting to hear the takes. I think that would be something very, very intriguing to um, watch and really listen to. Next trade scenario is Paul George for Marcus Johnson. For those listeners who are not familiar with Marcus Johnson, let me just give a quick bio on Marcus Johnson, and I'll give a quick one on Paul George. Marcus Johnson, his rookie year was 1977 with the Milwaukee Bucks. He came from UCLA, and they won a title. He was, man, he was insane. He was a great player. That's an understatement at UCLA. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I didn't see him play. But checking some of the highlight that I could find on him from back in the in the 70s, uh, he was 6'8". And so this was a very intriguing uh, trade scenario between him and Paul George, who's also 6'8". Paul George was drafted out of Fresno State by the Indiana Pacers. But back to Marcus Johnson. Marcus Johnson played with the Bucks until 1984 when he was traded in that blockbuster trade for Terry Cummings, Ricky Pierce, and Craig Hodges, previously mm. mentioned by Jason. Mm-hmm. But during those years when Marcus Johnson was with the Bucks, he averaged 27 and three, 20 points, seven boards, three assists. He coined the phrase point forward. So those of you that hear that term, you watch like a Paul George or like a LeBron, think of LeBron, brings the ball up, big guy, Scottie Pippen, same thing, where a big guy that was very versatile could bring the ball up, didn't have to play in the post all the time. And those Bucks teams were so close to a championship. They very just close, man. They just ran. Year, they year just, in and year out, man. Every year they either had the Sixers or the or the Celtics mm-hmm. that they ran to. So either Dr. J's team with Moses Malone or Larry Bird and crew where the Bucks just couldn't get over the hump and make it to the NBA Finals during those years when Marcus Johnson was here in Milwaukee. As we look at this trading car scenario, the other key thing between these two I thought was 
cool what they both are from california paul george's numbers are 19 6 and 3 currently with the la clippers looking at these cards the 1978 79 tops rookie card for marcus johnson and the 2010 2011 donruss rookie card for paul george i'm gonna go with marcus johnson in this scenario for the card and the reason I say this is, it's not worth as much as Paul George, but being a collector, those 70s cards were pretty cool, man. The impact Marcus Johnson had on the game before he had his neck injury uh, while he was in the, with the Clippers. I would take Marcus Johnson's rookie card over Paul George's rookie card in this trading scenario. How about you, Jason? Look here, man. So I want the fans to go out to YouTube and really look at the Marcus Johnson highlights back in the UCLA days. And when he was with the Milwaukee Bucks, you would see what we're talking about point four. Just like Danny provided the information about uh, Marcus Johnson bringing the ball up. Uh, so, yes, I agree with you about the, the coin of the term there of point four. I'll say this, Paul George, I think one edge that Paul George may have over uh, Marcus Johnson is the on the defensive side. Now we talk about the two-way players. Back then, it was just basketball player. Yes. You got to play basketball on both sides. It wasn't no about nothing about no two-way player. Uh, so I don't know where really that started. But nonetheless, I think that's something that Paul George has over Marcus Johnson. But as I looked at the highlights, man, and what Marcus Johnson did at UCLA, you're talking about not only NCAA champion, but he was also player of the year. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I always look at rookie cards uh, as can they meet the expectation of them translating from the college game to the NBA game? Um, how do they go about transitioning and translating to uh, the various games there? So Paul George, very nice player, man. Uh, I've seen Paul George up close. And the, I'll just say this, with the way things went down in Indiana with the team, because you all have to remember, the Indiana Pacers played the Miami Heat several times in in the playoffs. Yes. This is the LeBron team with D. Wade and Chris Bosh. Mm-hmm. And several times the Pacers were right there. This is with Lance Stevenson. Roy Hibbert. Uh, Roy Hibbert, that team, and the Pacers were always right there. And I remember the first time they played, that was when really Paul George really emerged as, mm-hmm. oh, this he could be a superstar, not just a yes. star, but a superstar. You remember when he dunked on uh, LeBron? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he yelled at him. I mean, come on now. And everybody was like, wait a second now. Are we seeing a superstar in the midst in Indiana? So I have to say, man, seeing Paul George up close, but I would say this, man, the way that the locker room was and all that's really allegedly, uh, I don't know what went down behind the scenes. There's a whole lot of rumors on the street. I would say that uh, all allegedly, Paul George also had a gruesome injury, a gruesome leg injury. Oh, yes. He played with the uh, U.S. Olympic team. Mm-hmm. For him to, you know, really make that comeback uh, the way that he did and and really just be an integral part. And then he ultimately obviously wanted to get traded, got traded to OKC. That full year that he was there at OKC averaged 28 a game for OKC. Now, granted, it was just him and uh, Russell. He did his thing averaging 28 a game. I think he needed he needed that to kind of elevate him a little bit. Because to me, when Paul George played the Miami Heat with D Wade and LeBron, when he when I just mentioned when he dunked on everybody, that's when everybody was expecting him to become that superstar. Yes. 
but he never became that superstar. And I don't think it was because of him getting injured. I think it was because it was just felt like he was he would always be like a number two. He to me he wouldn't be that one to be a number one. And why am I saying all this in terms of comparing to Marcus Johnson? Because to me, Marcus Johnson was a, a trendsetter. He was a difference maker. Mm-hmm. The point forward. Um, you hadn't seen anything like that. We've seen a Paul George before. We hadn't seen no Marcus Johnson before. And so with that, I'm going with Marcus Johnson purely because, yeah, in the 70s, but also uh, he was a trendsetter, man. We, we look at, we're looking at 1977 draft. How many, how many rounds do you think was, were in the 1977 draft, Danny? Probably like 12. Man, there were about eight rounds in the 1977 <laughs> draft. I know man. they were long. What in the world? And uh, from what I gather, uh, out of the 170 picks that were made, only 65 of them played in the NBA. Just a couple of names to keep in mind uh, that came out in the same time frame that Marcus Johnson did. Uh, we have Marcus Johnson. Uh, the number three pick. Uh, and then you had the likes of uh, Jack Sigma, Bernard King. Bernard uh, King, my guy. Coming, coming out, you know what I'm saying? Tree Rollins. You had, you had Norm Nixon. Yep. Um, so you, you had some players mm-hmm. uh, coming out in that draft, man. And so with all that, the trendsetter, the point forward, he coined the term, he dominated. He was player of the year, yep. NCAA champion. Mm-hmm. I can't say the same thing about Paul George. So that rookie year, I'm going all in on uh, Marcus Johnson. Thank you for joining us at Backports Talk Podcast. You can also join us on Twitter by tweeting us at back underscore podcast. For more information, you can go to our website, which is backporchtalkpodcast.com. You can also email us at backporchtalkpodcast at gmail.com. Again, thank you for joining us. And remember that there's enough hate in the world. So go ahead and spread a little love.